Hi, I'm Justin. And I'm Josh. And we host the Pretty OK Gamers Podcast. Think of our show as water cooler conversations with a little less gossip and a little more geeking out. My Halo, I think, is Legend of Zelda. What? No way. Yeah. No. Who are you again? Uh, I'm Justin, and we're, we're rather <laughs> okay at playing pretty good games. No, no. Every week, we talk about games and their history, and even ask ridiculous questions like, are open world games even good? So come join us every Sunday on the HP Gaming Podcast Network. See you there. See ya. This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. What's up, Argonauts? Dave here. Uh, this is for Arcast Mini number 11 now, I believe. Uh, and I'm here with my good buddy here, David Craddock. So how's it going there, Dave? It's going pretty well, man. Two Davids getting together to talk games. Sounds that's like a right. good time. That's right, yeah. It's David Squared <laughs> over here. And, that's uh, right. That's exactly right. So like, we're keeping like the, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of keeping things in Squaresville because we're, we're talking about video games, obviously. Um, but um, we're, we're also talking about like your, your latest book here, which you're uh, pr- you know, promoting right now, which is really exciting. Uh, called Rocket Jump, uh, which is basically meant to be like a definitive history of uh, Quake as well as the golden age of first-person shooters. And mm-hmm. um, I believe, uh, like you know, just kind of start things off. Like I believe this was a Shack News uh, article, wasn't it? Yes. So um, for the past, well, I guess a couple months ago now, we're re- recording this in in mid-April. Um, a, a month or two ago, uh, I was given the title of Long Reads Editor because that's kind of what I had been writing since. Uh, November 2016. I'm a, I'm full time full time freelance with Shack, which means I'm freelance, but I write for them pretty consistently. And they wanted me to do long form pieces because, as as you know, we've worked together. Um, right. That's kind of my forte. And so I started with Crystal Dynamics Tomb Raider reboot in November 2016, and then last spring I wrote a long read called uh, Stairway to Badass: The Making and Remaking of Doom 2016. Um, which coincidentally is actually available in a, an ebook story bundle right now on storybook storybundle.com. Oh, uh, yeah. And then right after there. <laughs> that's right, man. That's right. A lot, a lot of first person shooter stuff for the past year or so. Yeah. And after that, I was talking with my, my boss, uh, CEO and editor in chief, Asif Khan. And, and it's kind of spitballing saying, you know, what should I write next? What's, what's, uh, what sounds good. And he said, you know, Shack news started as a quake fan site. So maybe quake and then kind of, after E3 Madness died down, about uh, starting last July, uh, I started working on Rocket Jump, and we published it in its entirety uh, on Shack News. And the interesting thing about it, we positioned it as premium content. Um, on Shack News, we have what's called the Mercury subscription, where for $5 a month, you got uh, an ad-free browsing experience. And that's still the same, but we're also starting to add... Uh, subscriber-only content, and Rocket Jump was kind of that first experiment. You can go on Shack News and read the first two chapters for free, but if you subscribe to Mercury, you can read the whole thing online, and also at the end, at the bottom of the epilogue, there are 
uh, EPUB and Mobis you can download. And those are kind of different from what we're crowdfunding on Unbound. The, the EPUB and Mobis are just kind of standard books, you know, all text. Um, but on Unbound, we're doing um, really collector's edition style hardcovers and digital copies. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and you, you've obviously done like a lot of research, like for, you know, for, you know, for this particular book, as you've done like for previous books before. Because uh, right. I, I know you've done like books on like uh, like you know with like the rise of like the Apple II and like you know on like Shovel Knight on FTL and like all sorts of like other games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you, you definitely kind of you know do like your homework with whatever subject that you uh, you know that you cover. Uh, so like, what was it like about like Rocket Jump that um, I guess like was like the most exciting prospect as well as like the most uh, most challenging prospect like with this particular project. That's a good question. Uh, the most exciting prospect and the most intriguing uh, was twofold. First of all, um, John Romero's kind of becoming, I, I wouldn't say we're friends, but he's always willing to talk to me, always willing to do lengthy interviews. I talked to him for uh, my Apple II book breakout. I, I talked to him about a smaller first-person shooter feature that I wrote for a retro video game magazine a few years ago. And he always has said, like, hey, if you need anything, just contact me. We'll talk. And so I hit him up for Quake. And he was kind of the the snowball that rolled down the hill and got bigger and bigger. He put me in contact with American McGee, uh, Sandy Peterson, uh, Graham Devine, who's the lead game designer of Quake Three. So I really, I really hit kind of the spectrum. Uh, Rocket Jump focuses on the making of the Quake trilogy as well as Quake Live, and kind of an intro to Quake Champions. You know, it's really hard to say how that game will shape out since it's still in early access. Yeah, um, for sure. But for that, I also talked with Tim Willits, and that was uh, sanctioned by id Software. I went out to QuakeCon, and Tim and I talked for an hour, and I interviewed some other people out there as well. So I was really trying to kind of cast as wide a net as possible and talk to as many id folks from uh, the past as well as the future. And Tim is in a unique position as, as being one of the only original Quake designers still at id. So we had uh, an interesting perspective on on the franchise's history as well as id's history um the second point of interest for me was i'm really like ridiculous proud of this uh kind of fanboyish squealing i got an email from john carmack well i'd emailed him saying hey i'm writing this feature on quake i did this thing on doom earlier this year and i'd love to talk with you and he goes oh yeah i loved your doom feature so i'm like wow john carmack reads my stuff that's pretty cool yeah that's Um, awesome (laughs) yeah yeah so uh i got to talk to him he didn't have a lot of time because you know there's this whole ruckus around um uh, Oculus and Facebook and Zenimax and everything. That's so, right. I, I forgot he's kind of like part of all that too. Yeah. Oh, very, very much so. He's kind of the linchpin. And in fact, I had to get questions vetted by Oculus PR before I could even talk to him. They wanted to go every, through everything with a fine tooth comb and make sure nothing even remotely close to, to VR and the Rift would come up. Mm-hmm. And it was like, no, 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 I assure you, this is all stuff from like 1996 to 1999-ish. Um, so that that was cool, and uh, yeah, it was just really it was really fun getting to talk to to most of the design team that made Quake. You know, I'm sure that's why part of why you're involved in in the games industry as well is it's it's such a thrill to get to talk to people who made your favorite games. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, um, you know, I actually did like a uh, like an Arcast mini uh, with Scott Miller actually, and uh, it was just like amazing, kind of like speaking with him. Kind of speaking of of like first person shooters, like since he was involved with uh, with Duke Nukem 3D, as well as countless other titles like Max Payne and everything. So, uh, with me being a huge Max Payne fan, I was kind of just gushing with him about all that. Yeah, yeah. Scott's a really cool guy. He has a lot of perspective there. He was actually he was another. Um, I've been interviewing him for projects off and on since I want to say 2009 or so. And he was a pretty big part of rocket jump as well. I have, um, 
I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but one of the chapters is on Apogee's contributions, some of them, uh, those being uh, Rise of the Triad, 94, and uh, Duke Nukem, of course. Of course, of course, yeah. Um, so you know, obviously, like with this, uh, you know, with this being kind of focused on on Quake, um, you know, you also you know you also kind of get into as far as like how how Quake more or less started, or at least like the idea of it. Um, can you can you like talk a little bit about like what you know what was um, I guess like the most surprising thing you found out like as you kind of went into Quake's history and how it came to be. <laughs> the most surprising thing was that that game happened at all because id Software was so so dysfunctional um it, it really was uh i think in in a lot of ways and this is not my opinion this is the opinion of others who have worked there and still work there bethesda acquiring them kind of forced them to grow up because before them before that the inmates were running the asylum the difference here is i don't mean that in in a pejorative way at all those guys were brilliant but they were also even they said, like John Romero said this, John Carmack said this, so many people I talked to said we didn't really have anyone there kind of keeping us in line, keeping us on task. We kind of just, we had a lot of money, we had a lot of enthusiasm, so we just kind of made these wild games, and they they took a while, and, but, you know, hey, that's what we did. And I think the the issue there is, like, if you if you look at Quake 1, Quake 1 is almost, it serves as a window into id software circa 1995 through 96 because it starts as this john john romero was the lead designer and had these grandiose plans for a more story-driven game because he actually as much as he loved doom he wanted to evolve id's design he kind of said you know we had the tech handled but i also wanted to advance our game design but um for a variety of reasons some due to romero some due to others nobody could could really get on board with that i think there were two issues there i think that um you know, Romero admitted to me, he's like, you know, I had a lot of money. I was able to to do a lot of things I hadn't really done before. He was playing a lot of Doom 2 Deathmatch, and he was also kind of the face of the company. He was also working on a lot of external projects. He was the point of contact for, for Raven Software while they were building Heretic and Hexen with the Doom engine, uh, it Tech 1. Um, and so he had, he was, I think he was the point of contact with Prima while they were writing strategy guides for Doom. So he was busy, but also kind of kind of enjoying this newfound success. And the other factor was when Romero would push game design, you had a lot of people saying, well, either they don't really understand what he wants because he, you know, wasn't uh, available to communicate with or wasn't uh, getting his ideas across effectively, um, or they were just burned out. Id Software is a very crunch culture-driven studio. And before Quake, uh, everyone said we didn't really think of it as crunching. We were there at all hours of the night and day because we wanted to be there. But then they were so burnt out after Commander Keen to Wolfenstein to Doom to Doom 2 that they said, you know what? This was after Quake had been kind of dragging along for almost a year. And and uh, Carmack said, hey, this engine was the most complicated thing I'd ever built. So they were also waiting for the technology to come together, and it just wasn't. And by that point, I think it was in November of 95, they had a really big meeting where Carmack kind of led the charge and said, forget this grandiose design, we're just making another shooter. Right. And some people were disappointed by that, including Romero. Some people weren't. There was almost this relief, though, because it was like, well... Well, it'll still be good because we know how to make that type of game, right? And and so, kind of extending from there, um, there was there was a lot of these guys were all were all brilliant, but a lot of them were were power hungry, were kind of political backbiters, and so there was some um, there was almost a, a cancerous kind of miasma that that emanated from from some people that persisted all through the franchise's development. You had people who were who were brilliant and who had the respect of their peers in terms of the work, 
but they were also just the type of person who would smile to your face and then and then stab you in the back. So this, this right. all this stuff just kind of ran rampant, and and it's it's amazing Quake ever got made because if <laughs> if you look at that game, you know the first level of every episode starts in a military base, and then you're in medieval castles, and it's like what, why, how, what is this jump? And that was actually all going to be explained, and I get into that at Rocket Jump, but it just it didn't feel very cohesive and that's because in a lot of ways id was not cohesive at that time and and it actually got worse as, as time went on well that that idea though like with um you know with, with all the kind of like different um i guess like logic jumps more or less like with the, yeah. with, with the, the um you know like the the story of, of you know of quake uh that all like lar- you know largely came from uh like the, the there's like kind of like a top-down rpg that they were that, that they were developing called the fight for justice isn't that right kind of sort of quake did start as a top-down rpg called fight for justice and in fact um after Doom shipped, you know, Doom 2, I don't think anyone at id looked at it as a slam dunk, but it was certainly going to be an easier development process than Doom because they had the engine in place. All they needed to do was crank out new levels and, and monster assets and stuff like that. Um, so there was talk while that was going on. People were saying, well, maybe, you know, for our next game, we should go back to Quake. And it was going to be this RPG kind of based on characters they played in a D&D campaign that John Carmack ran, but very quickly... Um, that was kind of jettisoned, and it kind of uh, snowballed into this uh, amalgam of of a sci-fi future military uh, installment meets, uh, you know, Lovecraftian castles and that sort of stuff. Right, right. And um, you were kind of getting to, you know into as well, like with uh, I guess like with all the different like kind of personalities involved, like you know you know people um, you know kind of getting political more or less, like you know within mm-hmm. the studio. Um, is that you, you would say like? Um, like, would you say that's largely because of people uh, just kind of having like such like you know larger in life personalities or very strong personalities, I guess, and some egos kind of like butting heads in that case? Like, I know I know for Romero, like like he would be like the first person I think to admit that like you know the Romero then uh, was like certainly a wild child and would be out of control in some <laughs> cases. Yeah, he he even said like you know if I had an employee at my company now who did some of the things I did back then, I'd fire him. Um, <laughs> but I but I don't think it's it's um. I don't want to come across as blaming Romero for a lot of the problems because he was just kind of, there were some problems there, but not maybe not the biggest ones. Um, I think that a lot of it had to do with larger-than-life personalities, but uh, I've encountered this at other studios. In fact, on my screen right now, I'm, I'm kind of uh, finalizing my outline for Stay Wild and Listen 2, which goes into Blizzard North and Diablo 2, um, and putting that book through another draft. And... Uh, what happens at a lot of companies that were founded in the 80s and early 90s is the video game industry was so so young and new that it was just this wild, wild west. It was fun. Everything was new and exciting. Hard work, but also fun. But then as, as, as time went on, companies got bigger, money entered in, and people started eyeing positions and not just creativity. You know, People wanted to advance, and they were willing to be cutthroat about it. And that's a lot of what happened at its software. Uh, the winners, winners write history, as it, as it were. Sure, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, yeah, yeah. And also, just, you know, as you said, like, kind of like, you know, get, you know getting bigger uh, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just like with people like, you know, having to uh, tr- trying to, I guess, like take advantage of the fact that the video game industry was catching up and eventually, uh, I guess, like overtook like the, the uh, like the, like the movie industry really in a lot of cases. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty nuts how, how that all kind of came to be. Um, like with, with Quake in particular, like how do you feel like, uh, like the development of Quake, um, 
I guess like in some cases like you know surpass uh, what was going on like with you know with like Wolfenstein 3D and with like Doom because uh, obviously like I, like I know like you know just like roughly just like from from my own experience of of, uh, of Quake uh, it was it was kind of like a big deal with the fact that it was actually like full 3D it was like actual 3D mm-hmm. as opposed to the pseudo 3D that they were doing with uh, Wolfenstein and um, and Doom. Um, but, uh, you know, also with the fact that like, there was like a huge modding community and like, uh, and like the multiplayer, uh, kind of really expanded tenfold in that case. I think those are, are two big points. Um, I, I will say that I think Quake succeeded for a couple of reasons. The first is that despite all these problems, everyone there was very driven to make a great game. And, and that shows, even though Quake is kind of all over the map thematically, it is a, it is a damn fun game. It's one of my favorite first person shooter campaigns from the, the mid nineties, um, the second reason it succeeded is is kind of multifaceted. As you said, mods took off, but a lot of this was because of expectation. I think that it's probably id Software's soundest multiplayer game pre-Quake 3 when they were really like, okay, let's make a multiplayer-only game. Because they had they, they learned from Wolfenstein 3D and Doom. They knew what worked in those games, and they could sand out the rough edges. They had a true 3D engine, as you mentioned, Um they kind of expected mods from the get-go because that expectation, that precedent, had already been set by by Doom and Doom 2. Um, so they were kind of able to better anticipate what their audience want and and help them prepare for it. That's why um, one of the, the the most flexible and popular parts of Quake was, was Quake C, the scripting language that gave birth to mods such as Team Fortress. In fact, Deathmatch was almost an afterthought. They promised it in the press release and then for the world. So going into Quake, they said, you know what, Deathmatch is the biggest thing since sliced bread, as the saying goes. So we're just going to really make that kind of the nucleus of this game. And it really shows Quake was one of the first games to, um, one of the first but not the first game to be um, you know, the kind of the centerpiece of, of esports and, you know, playing competitively. We heard about, you know, the rise of players like uh, Dennis Fong and, and Jonathan Wendell, who are winning John Carmack's spare Ferraris and and just kind of wiping the floor at these Quake and Doom deathmatch tournaments. That was becoming a bigger and bigger thing, as were multiplayer clans, because of Quake. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. And um, you know, we're, we seem to be kind of like seeing more of like these, like, you know, these types of games. Kind of shows like how big of, of an influence that you know Quake had and still has at this mm-hmm. point uh, with games like Dusk by uh, by New Blood, I know, and um, also Ion Maiden by by 3D Realms, which is actually showing off during uh, PAX East, uh, as as well as too like with uh, with Quake Champions that's being made. I believe it's in early access now or something. But um, I, I was kind of curious on what your thoughts are, I guess, like with um, you know, with like the the effect of Quake and like if that style of gameplay is still very much like alive and well or has you know if it's still kind of i guess like has like a future uh in that specific niche of first person shooters it's it's really funny you ask that someone else on a podcast i did a month or so ago asked me that same question and my answer was i think that the quake style or arena style shooter is still viable but i don't think we're going to see um uh any more of those games or at least fewer of those games on a triple a scale uh, I think what it'll take is either indie developers who are willing to to make a smaller game knowing that they might not sell 50 million copies but being fine with that because maybe they could make a living filling a niche that has kind of been largely ignored since Call of Duty and Battlefield uh, came to rule the roost. Or a AAA studio who knows what it took to to make a game of that type back then and who can recreate it now on a, on a sensible budget. And then, lo and behold, 3D Realms comes out with Ion Maiden, which I've been messing around with in Early Access and I think is a lot of fun. And hell, they even used the build engine to make it. They extended it somewhat. But I think that is exactly the sort of space that, that Quake 
and Duke Nukem 3D and style and, and first person shooters of that style can occupy. They may not sell 50 million copies, but they're really, really fun game uh, games that hinge on a lot of exploration, a lot of wild experimental guns, really cool enemies, and then just this blisteringly fast pace. Oh yeah, and like I know, uh, I know with like Quake Champions in in particular, like they're really trying to uh, hone in on like that feeling of like just kind of you know blistering fast paced multiplayer shooter action, mm-hmm. uh, but also applying to like um, some like modern like shooter uh, sensibilities or like uh, I guess like tactics or you know however you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, you know so, such as with like loot boxes and like with uh, kind of like you know classes of characters as opposed to like everyone largely being the same as is in, the, as in the, the traditional Quake. Yeah. Uh, do you feel like that this is like something that's like necessary for a game? like that to be successful in the uh, i guess like that triple a space as opposed to being more experimental in the indie space quake champions um i kind of get into this in rocket jump but quake champions is kind of weird to me i have a love-hate relationship with that game i think <laughs> i think it's a solid game but it, it is very it was very explicitly designed by quake fans for quake fans you know tim willits who's the director of the game told me that at QuakeCon last year in my interview with them and I've, I've heard that from other sources and i think the, the uphill battle they face if they look at it as an uphill battle at all is the fact that um they're kind of catering to a very small subset of players they're essentially this quake champions feels like it's the game you play if you love quake and want to play in quake tournaments uh i feel like it's missing some features that make it accessible as an example I've always been more of a single-player guy, so I don't need a campaign. But one of the advantages of Quake 3 and Live was that you could play against bots. And bots will never put up as big of a challenge as human players. But the advantage they offer is you can load up a map you're unfamiliar with, put one bot in there, set him to the dumbest AI level possible, and then just let him bump against walls while you run around and get the lay of the land. In Quake Champions, you can't do that. If you're going to play, you're going to be against other people who have this do-or-die mentality. You can't go in there. You can't experiment with, can't learn the maps. You have to, to fight or else, you know, you're just going to get slaughtered. Uh, I, think that's, um, I, I think that's kind of a glaring omission on their part. The other interesting thing is I kind of feel like that game has somewhat of an identity crisis because um, they, they're not exactly Overwatch. They're, each hero has you know, three or four different powers, some active, some passive. Uh, and they're interesting, but that does create some balance problems. Quake's history, uh, you know, Quake historically has been about, it's been, a, it's been a franchise predicated on skill. If you know a map better than I do, if you have a better handle on special techniques such as rocket jumping and bunny hopping than I do, you will beat me. But now in Quake Champions, you introduce this wrinkle of, I may know my character's ability better than you and, and could gain an edge. Uh, I guess to, to wrap up kind of a rambling answer, it's a, it's a good game. But if you don't really care about Quake, I don't think Quake Champions has a lot to offer. And I, really, I, don't, I think it has its own little place in first-person shooters, and I guess it is fine with that. Yeah, it's it is kind of weird, like with with what they're doing with it. I, I know I was like super excited when first hearing you know first hearing about it because I figured it's like oh, okay that makes sense that it's you know that it's software and Bethesda would want to push forward with that after the success of uh, you know like Wolfenstein and the Doom uh, like you know like reboots. Uh, but um, yeah, it's it's just kind of weird like what they're doing with this. So. I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of hoping that they will take, you know, what feedback that they're getting and, you know, I guess like pick a side, which, which whichever side that they choose to kind of go with. And um, are, are there any other, like, uh, I guess, like projects that you're working on or that's like in the works that you don't mind sharing or anything like that? Yeah, sure. I, I guess I'll plug it again um, right now until I think early May uh, on storybundle.com. You can get a collection of 
uh, Game Development Books and Stairway to Badass, the making and remaking of Dune 2016 by me uh, is in there. Um, and it's pretty cool. I, I write the first half of the book is about uh, 2016's Doom. Uh, and I'm working on kind of finishing up Stay Well and Listen 2, which people email me every week still asking for that. <laughs> uh, and also Rocket Jump. Of course, um, if you go to what is the exact uh, address, I think it's uh, unbound.com slash books slash rocket dash jump. You can uh, read an excerpt. You can check out the, the video that um, my wife actually, videographer, made for the crowdfunding campaign and um, kind of get an idea. There are some mock-ups of cover arts and, and layouts uh, that you can see uh, to get an idea of what the book will look like when it finally ships. Cool. Yeah, I, I saw that video, and uh, so your 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 wife did did, um, did like an amazing job on that, by the way. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I'll kinda, have to pass that on. Yeah, this is just to kind of make it look as like professional as possible. It's just like, oh, this is like a like full blown like Kickstarter project almost, like the way yeah. this is kind of presented. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's she really cool. she loves that stuff, and Unbound has been a really good partner. Um, you know, it's it's a crowdfunding platform and publisher, so they've really been working hand in hand with me to to make sure this is a success. So it was it's been really fun working with. Working with Unbound, but also getting to work with my wife. She's um, a creative polymath and, and great at what she does. So it's always fun when we get a chance to work together. Very cool. Very cool. And um, yeah, so we'll have like the link to like in the show notes for uh, for, for that Unbound page uh, for Rocket Jump. And uh, also for, for your website too, which I know is David L. Craddock at uh, davidlcraddock.com. So. Correct. <laughs> yes. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll also have like a link to for that uh, for that Shack News uh, piece there too, because it's really cool with the, you know, with the addition of visuals, uh, you know, integrated with, uh, with yeah, the article yeah. too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sure. I, I imagine like a lot of that too will be uh, will be in the physical uh, copy of the book. Is that right? Yeah, with a unique layout and all sorts of extra photographs and design document extracts and all sorts of stuff. Very cool, very cool. So we'll, we'll have show notes. Uh, we'll have like links in the show notes for all that stuff uh, for people cool. to go check out. And uh, yeah, so like, um, and, and where can people go like to find you on social media there too, Dave? Uh, at David L. Craddock on Twitter. Awesome. Very cool. Well, David, thank you for, very much for you know for uh, you know being a part of this. Uh, you know, so it's always great to catch up with you, just kind of see what you're up to, and it's yeah, great to, thank it, you. It, yeah, it's it's great to kind of see you like you know working on these uh, these long form projects. Like uh, you're almost like um like what's what's that Irish guy uh, who does like the documentary um, videos now? Like, oh, he, Danny O'Dwyer. Danny O'Dwyer. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're, you're kind of like the Danny O'Dwyer, but for writing as opposed to like his video <laughs> projects. So I, I, I kind of see you in that vein. So <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Monster kill. Hey, did you enjoy that? Then be sure to check out more of ArgCast on Twitter at ArgPodcast. Same thing for Facebook. We're facebook.com slash ArgPodcast. You can also send us any feedback, any retro games you want us to cover, or anything at all, really, at ArgCast at RetroZap.com. And also, we are partnered with Don't Feed the Gamers, so be sure to check them out at Don'tFeedTheGamers.com for all of your fan-driven video game news and reviews and whatnot. Uh, that's actually run by our good friend Leona Ruppert, so be sure to give them a read. And if you don't want to miss any episodes of Arcast, then be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, give us five stars, and tell your neighbors. We're also on Stitcher and also Google Play Music, so there's absolutely no reason to not listen to the Arcast. And yeah, until next time, Argonauts, keep it retro.
Hey, this is Adam. This is Mike. And this is David. From Super Best Friends Video Game Sleepover. We make a fortnightly video game podcast. Fortnite means every two weeks. Covering gaming news, game reviews. I give it five out of five tacos. And whatever crazy audience tweets come in. And sometimes celebrities like Arnold even stop by to sing karaoke. Oh, we, oh, I love just like Bozzy Each episode, we feature one burning topic, game dev interview, or super guest friend from the world of gaming. Check us out on the HP Video Game Podcast Network or on sbfvgs.com. I don't care about that. Wow.